0: I joined track and field. I joined track and field for one particular reason and only one reason. All my friends were in track and field. So I thought, well, that's what you're doing. I guess I'll do that. I did not particularly like to run. Um, yes, that's all you really do in track and field. But then you had to pick one like other thing, event. Um, and my choices was basically run more, like another event, or do the high jump. So I thought... I'm going to do the high jump because I'm not here to run. Um, so then I started doing the high jump, but nobody else really did the high jump. They all did everything. things. So I don't know why. But so somebody kind of showed me, okay, this is how you do the high jump. There's like a special like run and sort of pacing and jump and flicking your legs and doing all these things. And this is what you're going to do. So it's like, okay. So I started practicing it and doing it. And pretty much everything down. I'm looking just like a high jumper and it's all looking good. Everything's good. There was one simple problem. The entire time in the entire year that I did high jump, I never cleared the bar. I mean, never. Just could not get it. So I was like, yeah, I'm a high jumper. I'm totally a high jumper. See, I'm looking it. I got it down, but never cleared the bar. I really didn't care because I got to spend all the time like you jump and it was like a nice summer day and then you just lay on this mat. And I was like, I'm good, you know, but I really never got what it meant to be a high jumper because I never cleared the bar. And today what we're going to look at is an area where the Pharisees and the people of Israel honestly miss what does it mean to really follow after God. And in their pursuit of God, they had a lot of things down, but they really missed the main point. And so we're going to take a look at Mark chapter 12. Uh, we'll pick it up in verse thirteen, but as you uh, you can turn there in your phones, devices, or your Bibles if you have them here. But um, we've been looking at this, and we we're in this whole passage here where Jesus is really looking at what does it mean to be a follower of Christ. What what does that mean? And he's been talking things. Remember, at this point. All the people in Israel, many of them, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the, just the regular people, they've seen God do or heard about God doing so many miraculous things, so many miracles and big things, people rising from the dead, sicknesses being healed, blind eyes seeing, mute people speaking, all this kind of stuff. They've seen it and they've witnessed the power of God be unleashed through him and they've heard his teaching and many people have begun to think, oh, maybe this is the Messiah. But the group that hasn't thought that is actually the religious elite, the Pharisees, the teachers. these people have been very much like, no, this can't be God. And a lot of that is they just they can't seem to believe anything he says, partially because he's being very harsh to them because he's like, you've kind of missed it. So after some teaching in that, and actually in the beginning of chapter twelve, which I'm not reading here, he makes a parable, talks about them, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these people, they get, the phar- it's actually about them in a negative way. And they want to arrest Jesus, but they're scared to arrest Jesus because there's a mob of people that are really for him, and they're like, well, if we try to arrest them, they might, like, take us out. So, like, we're not going to do that. So then in verse 13, this is what it says. So, and they, this just like the teachers, the Pharisees, the, those people. It says, and they sent to Jesus, sent to him, some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians, to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. It is lawful to pay taxes. All right, sorry. Let's just pause there for a second. Can you feel the sarcasm coming off of their comments here? You, You should, because they really don't believe anything they just said. They're just sort of like, Hey, right? And then they say this to Jesus. They say, Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he, that is Jesus, said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarii and let me look at it. And they brought one and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Basically, they're just trying to trap him. They really, they have God here and they're all just trying to trap him into saying something that's going to get them to be able to sway the crowd of the opinion and say, look, he's not really that good, but Jesus outsmarts them. And the next passage here, 18 through 27, is basically another argument in the same way. I'm not going to read it all. But basically, they're, people talking about the afterlife and they're trying to trick Jesus and Jesus is like, you just don't know what you're talking about. And again, he astounds them. But then it goes to verse 28 and it says, and one of the scribes came and heard them disputing with one another. So put careful note here. One of the scribes, it means this was not one of the guys that the teachers sent to trap Jesus. He's just a scribe, he's a teacher of the law, and he hears them disputing. So he's a part, he's in the crowd, and he's like, oh, listen to this guy. He hears the answers that he gives to these other guys. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So really what we see here that's happening is this scribe, not here to trap him, right? It's very different appearances here. Jesus is giving answers. Jesus is the one who is the Messiah. He's done all these miracles. And these other teachers of the law, all they can think about is trying to trap him, trying to arrest him, trying to discredit him before the people so they can arrest him and really put him to death. That's their main goal here. They have just decided completely that Jesus doesn't, he is not God and he is not right. And so they have completely missed Jesus in their midst. And this other guy who's just there, who's clearly kind of like coming to Jesus in a different way, asks him this question with some sincerity. And then when he hears Jesus, it's almost like he is processing out loud for us the answer Jesus gives. And he's like, yeah, that's right. God is one. And you're right. Loving him with all of my being and loving my neighbor is the most important thing. Now, the phrase he says here is actually is more important than... Whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, I think for us sometimes we just kind of read by that because you know we're like, well, we don't do burnt offerings anymore. But for the religious structure, for how to enter into God's presence, for how to worship God, this is an astounding comment by a teacher of the law, because everything in the way to worship God from a, from the Old Testament perspective was all about burnt offerings, and sacrifices. So for him to say, yes, these things are more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices is a monumental statement. He's saying this is actually more important than everything else that we're doing. And I agree with you. Now, if I was to try to maybe modernize this for us, this would be more aching for us to say like, hey, Loving God and loving others is more important than coming to church, reading your Bible, or praying. See, I think maybe that makes a little more sense. Wait, 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 wait. You're saying this is more important than reading my Bible? Yes. You're saying this is more important than, than praying? Yes. More important than coming to church? Yes. It's the same kind of thing of what he's saying here. That's what he's saying. He's saying this is more important than than all these other things. Now, part of this, he's not actually saying that those things are bad. He doesn't say burnt offerings and sacrifices are bad. He just says this trumps it. Now, part of what's happening here is this is I think one of the things that we see through this passage is, I mean, clearly what God is calling us to here, the thing that they the that the scribes missed is that God has called his people to love. Pure and simple. He's called us to love him and to love others. That's our call. Above everything else, our simple call is that we are people who love God with all of our being and love others as ourselves. That's what he says. That's the most important thing. It trumps everything else. And yet clearly The teachers of the law, the ones who studied it day and night and performed sacrifices and did all these things, these people missed it. In the midst of doing all of that, they missed it. Because Jesus shows up on the scene, he's saying all these things, and instead of them hearing what God has to say and believing what God has to say or being changed by what God has to say, all they can think of is, how do I trap you? How do I discredit you? How do I arrest you and kill you? And I think part of that is we see there's a difference between this last teacher who asked the question about what's the most important and the other ones who are trapping them. And part of that is this, it matters how you approach God. It matters how you approach God. See, for the first group of teachers, they had already made up their mind, this is not God. And they had had no desire to come to Jesus in any way of humility or honesty to be changed by God, or to seek Him out, or to learn from Him in any capacity. Even though they're asking Him questions as if they want to know the answers, they don't care about the answers. All they care about is giving Him some really difficult question that will make Him look foolish that the crowd would then say, oh, okay, He must not be God. They're not actually coming to Jesus to learn in any way, shape, or form. But the last guy is. The last guy is coming saying, Wow, okay, he answered these questions really well. It's almost like he's had this question in his mind for a while, like, I want to know what is the most important, because there's a lot of laws in the Old Testament. There's a lot of commands in the Old Testament. And he, he flows this, okay, you great answering rabbi. How about this one? And when Jesus answers, he goes, oh, that's good. That's what I need. Loving God and loving others. And he thinks, yeah. And Jesus looks at him and says, Yeah, you're close. You're close to the kingdom. You're almost there. Because your heart's in the right place. You've approached God in a way to be transformed by Him and learn from Him. The reality is, this might be the first time. We don't know this guy has ever heard actually Jesus there, but. His heart was already ready, which means that in his study of the Scriptures, his worship of God through burnt offerings and sacrifices led him to a place where he was approaching God to be learning from God, to be encountering God, to be changed by God, and these others clearly weren't. So can I just say this for us? There's nothing wrong with prayer. There's nothing wrong with Bible reading. There's nothing wrong with coming to church. These are all exceptional things. If you treat those things, if you approach those things out of duty, obligation, or just because, I don't know, I guess I'll do it, and you have no desire to come to God in the midst of those, if you're not using those things as tools to bring you to Jesus, then chances are you are missing God in the midst of that. It is possible to read your Bible, pray, and come to church, even if you did those every day. It is possible for your walk with God to become dry and meaningless and empty. Just doing the things that we're supposed to do, just to do them, isn't enough. It matters how we approach Him with those things. And I think when Jesus gives this answer to this guy, he's revealing to us, this is what this is all about. All the prayer, all the worship, all the other commandments, all the sacrifices, all of it is supposed to be there to help you and I come to God and love him. All of it is supposed to be that we might fall more in love with Jesus, more in love with God, more in love with the people around us. That is what it's all about. And so he's saying, hey, this is what it's all about. And if, if you're not getting there through what you're doing to follow me, then you're missing it. You're missing the point. Now, before we get more into some of this, I want to I mention this. The thing with love is this. When, when Jesus talks about love, he talks about love in a very different way. Okay so the first thing we kind of see of what it means to follow Jesus here we're called to follow Jesus or we're called to following Jesus means we're called to love him like God with all of our being and to love others and it matters how we approach God but when it comes to love these are the kinds of things that Jesus taught about love so i'm just going to read these for us this is in Matthew chapter 5 verse 43 Jesus says you have heard it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i say to you love your enemies And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, what we're seeing here is that When Jesus says here, you should love God with all your being and you should love others, he's not just saying like you should be nice to the people who are nice to you. That you should love the people who are lovable. No, he's actually called us to be people who love our enemies. That's the standard that God is calling us to do as his people. So when when he actually throws this down there, this is the greatest commandment. It's not just like, oh, okay, yeah, be nice to people. No, he's saying, I want you to be radically filled with love and be lovers of other people in such a way that you would be somebody who loves your enemy, which if we're honest is not humanly possible. I don't care how good you are. You do not have the capacity in your heart on your own to love an enemy. And so when, when Jesus is throwing this down there, people are like, what are you talking about? How does anybody do this? Now, nobody doesn't understand it, right? If I say love your enemy, it's a concept we all get immediately. You're like, okay, that's not complicated. But often we actually make it complicated because like, well, there's no way that's actually what you mean. God can't mean love your enemy for real. So I've got to come up with another theological way to make this make sense and say this is uh, something else. But God actually means it. He means I want you to love me with all your being. And I want you to love others as yourself. And I even want you to love your enemy. He says, what, what is it if you just love those who love you? What is it if you just love your brothers? Everybody does that. Even people who are completely evil do that. No, I'm calling you to my way of life and living, which is full of love. Jesus actually says elsewhere too, he says that people will know that we are his followers, his disciples by our love. This is supposed to be the definition of what it means to be a follower of Christ, that we are people who love God with all our being and love others. This is supposed to be like that entire encompassing everything else. Now that Jesus hasn't taught us to do other things, but if we miss this, We can have all the pieces that look like we're really following Christ, but have actually missed the whole thing. It's just like me on the high jump. You can look just like everything's great, but really all you're doing is lying on the mat. You haven't cleared it. You're going through the motions. And the reality is just like me, I think a lot of us are content with that. We're content to just lie on the mat and say, well, I never really got there. But who could do that anyway? That's an impossible task. But that's not what Jesus has for us. His expectation of us, if we're really following after him, is that we would be marked by his presence and that we would be people who love God with all of our being and love others as ourselves. And even when it says your neighbor, God has multiple times, Jesus teaches multiple times in multiple ways throughout the New New Testament where it becomes very clear that when he says neighbor, he literally just means everybody. Everyone is your neighbor. Okay, so don't just think of the nice guy you like, you know, and be like, "Oh, well, actually, you're two streets down, so you don't count as my neighbor because I don't like you." No, everyone is your name. But here's the problem with this. Okay, even if you're tracking with me, you're like, oh, "Okay, I get this." I think for a lot of us, we're like, "Okay, I hear you, but I have no idea how to do that." That's great. I'm glad you. I'm glad you feel like that because if you feel like I got this, then you, then let's be honest, you don't got it. Okay. We don't have to love your enemy as yourself. So if you're sitting here like, in my own strength, I got this love. I'm going to go out. I'm going to do it. I feel sorry for all the people that you're going to try to love because it's not going to go right. Because we don't have that capacity in us. But we're supposed to be marked by it. In 1 John 4, it says this. By this, we know that we abide in him, which is God, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is what it means to follow God. But the beautiful thing, I don't know if you caught it in there, that Jesus here, is we love because he first loved us. Our capacity... To be people who love God with all of our being and to love others does not come from your own heart. It doesn't come from your own capacity. It comes because God has loved you, because God keeps loving you. And the love of God is not a love that you've earned or that you've worked for or that you in any way have become worthy of. The love of God is freely given to all because he decided that you are worthy, because he decided that he loves you. And so that love is the love that fills us, that in turn then flows out of us to one another that says, I can now love other people. Why? Not because I'm something special. Not because I know what to do. I can love other people because the love of God so fills me that I can't help but love everyone around me. Because I have felt the love of God fill me so completely that I am marked by his love. His love is full in me. His presence of love is so much in me that that's who I am now. I'm somebody who loves God and loves others. That's the call. And that's where it comes from. I think part of the problem of why so many of us are missing this piece, and don't feel like we can do this, I think here's the first problem. Many of us have never really experienced in our being the love of God. We know that He loves us. We've read it. We've heard it. But I think for many of us, we haven't really let Him in. We haven't really experienced fullness of the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for for us in a way that fills us so completely that we know that we are loved in the depth of our being, that we just bask in the presence of Jesus and go, oh, I'm so loved. And if you haven't received and experienced that kind of love, it is impossible for you to go out from this place and love your enemy. But God is love. And he longs to love us. I think sometimes the problem is that some of us feel like we're completely unlovable. There's no way that God could love this. Maybe he could love this part of me. You know, the nice part, the polished part, the part I've worked really hard on to make good. But that other part, God couldn't love that. It says in Romans that we know what love is because while we were still sinners, while we were far away from God, Christ died for us. That's what love is. That means no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've gone through, he knows it and he knew it before he came down to earth. He knew it before he decided to die for you and he decided, I'm still dying for you. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can do to be unlovable in God's sight. Don't let your guilt, your shame block the love of God in your life because he loves you. I think for others of us, we want to earn that love. Oh, we want to earn it so bad because, you know, you might be like me. You like performance stuff. You want to prove it. Problem is you can't earn it, and as long as you're trying to earn God's love, the reality is that part of you that feels like you got to earn it. Any time you don't feel like you it enough, you can't feel that love because you have decided I'm not worthy of love right now. So God, clearly God can't love me, and you are convincing yourself that the love of God does not apply to you because you have not done good enough. But that's not what it says. That's not what it's about. The love of the Father is for all of us. And some of us, honestly, we just don't care. Some of us were just like, I have no desire to love other people. I'm good. And you just need to begin to ask the love of the God to come in and change your heart. Maybe you've been hurt by people, maybe you've been wronged by people, and you've just hardened your heart and said, I'm never going to be hurt by other people again. I don't care. That's the way it is. But God and his loving presence will fill you and make you loving. That's what he does. It's who he is. I kind of reminded this, this concept here is, I remember being like in junior high, you know, when people start really actually like, kind of like boys start noticing girls, and girl, I guess girls start noticing boys a little earlier, but a lot of boys don't really notice girls at all until junior high, and they're like, oh, there's another species, okay, there they are, but I remember a lot of times, uh, it wasn't like, you know, most of my friends and I had really crushes on girls, until somebody would come and say, hey, did you know Betsy likes you, and you be like, what, and be like, Oh, Betsy likes me. And all of a sudden, like, do I like Betsy? I don't I don't know. Maybe I do like Betsy. Betsy likes me. Why not? I guess we like each other. Okay, here we go. I don't know. Maybe none of you felt like that ever, but I remember that being the case. I think in a similar way, this is what happens with us and God. We're not close to God. We're not thinking of God. And then God says, I love you. And we're like, wait, God loves me? Maybe I love God. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, okay, I love God. Yeah, that's good. I love God because he loves me. The beautiful thing is, unlike the other one, this is actually a good thing. When we receive that love, it changes our heart and then we can see God differently and we can see other people differently. So this is what we're going to do today. Uh, I can just invite the the worship team to come back up, but um, this is what we're going to do. Some of you, your approach to God has been all wrong and you just need to own that, confess that, and ask God to change your heart that you would begin to just approach Him for the purpose of loving Him and redeem all the different ways of worship so that they would become about Him, loving Him, and loving others. And some of you need to do that. Some of us in this room, you know what we need to do? We just need to come and experience the love of God. I I can tell, so some of us, many of us in this room, you've never really let the love of God permeate all of your being. For whatever reason that is, you just haven't let it encompass you. You haven't let it change you. You haven't let it fill you up. He's here for you. Do you want to receive His love? Come receive it. You want to experience it? Come experience it. I said again, we know what God's love is because he died for us. That while we were still sinners, he died for us. So, I'm going to kind of open up as part of our response time because of this. As we take communion, we believe we take communion. It's, it's where we're acknowledging that Christ died and rose again For our sins. That he paid the price for all of our sins. That we might be reconciled to God. And be with him forever and eternity. All because of his action. His sacrifice for us. But it was his. love. This is how he loves you. And so as you come in a moment. To the table. Receive his love. free gift. No guilt, no shame, nothing gets in the way of this act of love. And so open your heart completely to him and just say, I receive your love. As you take the communion, as you take the little wafer that's on the top that represents his broken body. As you drink of the juice that represents His blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins, that you might be made whole, that you might be cleansed, made new for you, it's His act of love. As you come, I just invite you to just, if you need to spend a moment where you're at or up in the front, to just pray and release the things that are blocking you from receiving love, do that. In a moment, there will be leaders up here in the front to pray with you. If you don't even feel like you can get to that place, if you don't feel like you can get to the space on your own to be ready to receive the love of God, if you feel so lovable that you don't even know the words to say, that's why we have people to pray with you. Receive prayer. They'll pray the truth of Scripture over you. They'll pray the truth of Jesus over you. But please, today, receive the love of Christ. And so, Jesus, as we come before you, we are grateful for your sacrifice. We are grateful for your love. We are grateful for your presence. We are grateful that it is because of your death and resurrection on the cross, your broken body, your shed blood, that we know you love us. And so, as we come this morning, we just say, would you love us? We know it's true in our heads. Would it be true in all of our hearts? Would we know and experience the love of God? And I just pray that over us right now. Holy Spirit, we ask you and invite you here afresh and we just speak the love of Christ over everyone in the room. And we ask that you would invade, oh God, invade our hearts. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your love that we might be those who love you And love others. Fill us, O God. So as you feel led, please come to the table. Sing songs, worship, do what you need to as a response. But please receive the love of Christ today.